Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. In issues of racism, there are going to be some who will say, why don't you stick to preaching gospel? The social, political, and economic concerns have increasingly encroached upon the minds of those who should know better. The real transformative work in a nation is the transformative work of the gospel. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hello and welcome to Wretched. My name is Todd Friel. Would you look at what the cat dragged in? It's Dr. Erwin Lutzer. This is a very specific question. What are you doing here? Well, that's for you to answer, my friend. You invited me here. (laughs) So that's what I asked you over lunch. What am I doing here? It's a theological question. The answer is sovereignty, because that's the subject du jour. The doctrine of sovereignty, which in my estimation is one of the doctrines that should be regularly tapped on by the preacher, because without an understanding of the doctrine of sovereignty, You could read a book like one of yours, We Will Not Be Silenced or No Reason to Hide, and think that things are out of control, the culture is collapsing, what is God doing, where is he in this? And the answer is sovereignty. Oh, I love to talk about that. Let's talk, for example, about politics and sovereignty. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, who's ruling God, humbles him, he comes back, and he begins to worship the true God. Imagine what he says, Todd. It takes your breath away. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from one generation to another, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? To all the people who are listening who are upset because their favorite political candidate was not elected, to all them I say, God rules in the kingdoms of men. And Daniel, according to the King James Version, says he even gives it at times to the basest of men which means that God rules. And so we have to step back from this. Let's talk about hurricanes. God is the one who determines where and what happens in his universe. I marvel at the number of Christians who think that God has nothing to do with the weather. But if they're in a dilemma, if they are running through lightning, they begin to pray, and at that moment, they admit <laughs> that God is in control. Sovereignty works. Sovereignty right. works. Suddenly, they know that God is in control. Now, I could go through the whole scripture and show you one verse, verse 4 of Jonah. And the Lord hurled a great wind that came upon the sea. God is in charge. And we're not. That's the doctrine of sovereignty. But very fairly, some questions could be asked. For instance, let's talk about hurricanes. They cause a lot of damage. People's houses are destroyed. Lives are lost. Are you going to tuck that under the doctrine of sovereignty too? Have to. Job, his children, Two natural disasters come to them. One is lightning that kills the livestock. 
The other is a windstorm that kills all a windstorm that kills all ten of his children. At the end of the day, what did Job say? And he was a good theologian. He did not say God gave and the devil took away. Mm. He said the Lord gave and the Lord took away. I've thought about this a lot, and you think about it as a pastor. If you can't tell people that God is in charge of what happens, you can't really give them comfort. If you begin to say, well, you know, this Hurricane Ian came and it was out of God's control and it somehow is a fluke of nature, that's not very comforting. How's about this? God didn't know about the hurricane. (laughs) And we've heard that before. We've heard that before. Like one theologian or supposed theologian said, when Katrina happened, God was the first one who wept. I think what we should do is to weep for God. A God who didn't know that Katrina was going to happen is a God who deserves our tears. If he weeps, we should too, because the universe is out of control. That view, of course, of the openness of God has been so discredited, but it's man's attempt to deny the sovereignty of God to find a reason to put all the human responsibility and the responsibility of the evils of this world to put it on a plate that says God didn't know that this is going to happen. But it's not biblical and it's not very satisfying. But it's, it's quick and it's easy and it's relatively painless. There is something attractive about the open view in that, okay, then God isn't mean. He's not punishing me. God isn't being capricious. Okay, he's responding too. So I get the attraction to it, but like you rightly said, and predictably so from a pastor, that doesn't ultimately bring a lot of comfort because you don't have to spend more than a second to conclude, wait a second, if God wasn't aware of the storm, is he even aware about me? Is he aware of my children? Is, is it all breaking news to him? Can a God who doesn't know everything really respond? Or when people say, well, why didn't God stop it? He could have stopped it. And the open theist would say, well, he didn't know about it. Well, then we feel like we are untethered and we're adrift. And as you rightly said, Job didn't say that God take, or that the devil takes away. God gives and God takes away. So with that in mind, the doctrine of sovereignty is biblical and it is good. But it is my opinion, it shouldn't stand alone for a long time in that. I think there's other attributes of God that need to be brought to the fore. He's good, he's able, and he's faithful. Because without those, this one's kind of scary. Yes. You know, Spurgeon believed in the sovereignty of God, and I'm just pulling this out of my memory bank, just so that the audience knows that Todd does not tell his guests ahead of time what he's going to discuss. (laughs) And he was distinguishing the sovereignty of God from fate. And he says the sovereignty of God has eyes. What he meant was that this God who is control deals providentially. He has a purpose. He has a plan. So this isn't just bare fate where We're in God's hands and God does whatever God does. God has a plan that he is working out. 
and we have to respect that. The other thing about God's mercy, his grace, and his goodness, yes, that has to be believed as well. And then on the other side of the equation, and here's the mystery that I've pondered for the last 50 years, human beings are still responsible for what they do. Right. Now, if you ask the ultimate question, how exactly do those fit together? On the one hand, God is totally sovereign. On the other hand, we are responsible. And there's a synergy between those two that we cannot comprehend, but both are taught in Scripture. If you ask the average Christian, they'll say this, well, God created the world. He gave Adam and Eve free will. They decided that they would disobey God. And so what they try to do is to trace it back to free will, the free will of Adam and Eve. I do not do that. There were so many options that God had. They could have acted voluntarily doing the right thing. They could have obeyed if God had so desired. The fact is, and this takes a longer discussion, that I believe that evil right from the beginning was a part of God's plan. Look at after Satan fell, God could have confined him to a planet somewhere, tortured him and said, be gone and have nothing to do with this world. Why does God even allow the devil to be alive and well, to tempt people, to lead people into evil? If God is totally sovereign, he has a purpose in that as well. And we don't have to understand that purpose in order for us to believe that there is one. If you're asking for a verse of Scripture, and you should always do that, Todd, you should always ask for a verse of Could Scripture. Could you give me a verse of Scripture, Dr. Yes. <laughs> I'm pulling this out of my memory bank, so I'm going to have to paraphrase it. But it's in Ephesians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says, in effect, that the mystery of God from all eternity yeah is that we might give praise to God and so forth. To put it as clearly as I have ever publicly put it, I believe that God created in order that he might redeem. Because it is in redemption that we see the kaleidoscope, the full extent of God's attributes that we'd have never seen if it was not for sin and evil. We might have seen God's sovereignty, his greatness, we would have never seen his mercy. We would have never understood his love. All of that happened because of evil. It happened because of the fall, and we must see God's purpose in it. Now, just to be clear, God does not do evil. He does not do evil, but does he control it? Does he allow it to happen right from the beginning when it started? The answer is yes. Okay, if evil is under God's control, then what about my situation? We will seek to answer that conundrum too, because there is an answer with Dr. Erwin Lutzer next on Wretched. So you know that feeling you get at five o'clock on Friday afternoon. It's like a mixture of relief because the week is over and excitement because the weekend is upon you. Well, there's actually a feeling that's a whole lot better than that. And that 
is taking advantage of the Wretched 50-50 sale. Okay, so maybe that was a stretch, but the Wretched 50-50 sale going on right now is going to save you a ton of money and get you some free stuff as well. Just head on over to the Wretched store at Wretched.org where you're going to find that Wretched products have been marked down by 50%. And when you spend $50 or more, well, we're going to give you a copy of Transform Season 1 while supplies last. Plus, we're going to ship it all to you absolutely free of charge. It's an amazing deal that quite possibly is going to make you feel better than 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Again, that's probably a stretch, but we're going to go with it. So head on over to Wretched.org slash sale right now and take advantage of the Wretched 50-50 sale. Also, visit our donate page while you're there, Wretched.org slash donate. Permit me to introduce you to Brie and Salvation Dominoes preborn style when one person gets saved they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them and then it's just this domino effect brie currently volunteers at a preborn life center how did she get saved from a friend whose mother got saved at you guessed it a preborn life center why because preborn it is indeed about saving babies lives via 28 dollars ultrasounds but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved and look at the domino effect would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can 28 dollars for an ultrasound 80 percent of the time saves a life Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. Every day that passes, we are closer and closer to the end of 2022, which honestly has been the biggest year ever here at Wretched. We've seen season one of Transformed released, produced 10 episodes of Breaking Bread, released season three of Road Trip to Truth, plus we have shipped and given away to you to distribute 1 million copies of Solving the God Puzzle. 2022 has definitely been a record year, and we have no plans of reigning it in in 2023. Your generosity has helped us spread the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in spaces we could have never imagined possible. So as the year comes to a close, would you consider becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner if you're not already? It's actually an amazing time for you to become a Gospel Partner. Thanks to the generosity of some other Gospel Partners, you can double the impact of your gift because every single dollar donated till year's end will be matched. Get all of the details right now at Wretched.com donate that's wretched.org slash donate how's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home would you please visit medishare.com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff second of all you can save on average $500 per month and finally MediShare it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years it works and the members including myself and Mrs. Friel Love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Know your church fathers. 
Jerome was a 4th century Christian theologian and one of the original four doctors of the church. His most important work was the Latin Vulgate, a translation of the scriptures from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, the vernacular of his day. The Vulgate remained the preeminent translation of the Bible for a millennium. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched. Today's special words are ultimate, functional, and efficient. Our guest is Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Coin those three terms from Dr. Peter Sammons, who wrote an interesting book called Reprobation and the Sovereignty of God. And he gave the doctrine of evil and the doctrine of God's goodness treatment in this, an explanation for how a good God can allow or be responsible in any way for evil. And those three words is is what he used to help us understand that God is the ultimate cause of everything. But that it does not mean that he is the one who is responsible for the undertaking of a thing, in particular evil. And so you've got something that is functional. It can be an idea, it can be a false teacher, it can be an ideology, it can be a world religion. But then the efficient causer is us. We're the ones who are are really responsible for the efficient causing of evil. And so God's hands are clean because he's the ultimate cause, but not the efficient cause. That was helpful. Do you disagree with that painting? I, I don't disagree with it. I just would hate to have to explain it to a parishioner in a church, <laughs> in a church aisle. <laughs> And to quote the words oftentimes attributed to Martin Luther, though it's very difficult to find the quote in his writings, (laughs) but he says these things, in effect, even the devil is God's devil. And you know what that means? To all those who are there who are talking about spiritual warfare, I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe in praying against Satan. But I want to encourage them and say we do so from the standpoint of strength. Because the devil is subject to God. Think of it this way. Satan comes and tempts Peter to deny Christ. And Jesus says, Satan has desired, speaking to Peter, Satan has desired to tempt you that he might sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that you might not fail. Do you know what that means? Satan could not tempt Peter until he got the permission of Jesus. The sovereignty of God enables us to pray with a great deal of faith because we know that we have a God who controls everything. And he's not, um, uh, he doesn't see the devil as competition. The devil is totally under his control and under his feet, to use a figure of speech. Are you looking for me to disagree with you? I would like to know that you agree. And if you don't, I would like to hear where you disagree. (laughs) The problem with your answer is that you gave me about 70 different talking points, considerations, angles, because what you just said, I think, is indeed biblical. Oh, well, that's nice. (laughs) Like you need my affirmation. I'm just going to help the good doctor out with some of his theology. You, you, I, I think that you're exactly correct. But people, then they'll struggle with that and they'll say, wait a second. You mean God ordains 
all things that come to pass, including evil. Do you know what's happened to me? Do you know what has happened to my loved ones? Let's make this personal as promised. You and I agree. God ordains evil. He's not responsible. He doesn't cause it, but he most certainly has predetermined it as he has everything. But that gets hard because life is filled with evil and it gets very personal. So pastorally, when somebody says, okay, pastor, I heard your sermon on sovereignty and God's under uh, the, the, being the ultimate cause of evil. What about me? How do you minister to that heart? Well, first of all, I would say this, that to that person who's suffering, they have to see that their story is part of a much larger story as to what God is doing. And I would take them to the book of Job, because that's exactly where Job was when God took his children, and now Job had to navigate that theologically. He goes through all of the various uh, speeches and the counter speeches of his friends. But at the end of the day, I think it's in chapter 23, where he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So even when we cannot see God's ultimate purpose, we have to keep believing and we have to fight against evil. Now, God could just take evil away at the snap of a finger, so to speak but he doesn't, we're to fight against it. But that also is part of God's program and God's desire for us. So the mystery here is great. You know, at my age, I spend quite a bit of time contemplating God because God is so immense. I try to visualize or grasp his eternality. I can't really do that. But I think that God is honored when we try to understand him. But I find there that in the end, Job was comforted, of course. His wife also, who gave him a bit of a hard time. And you know, when I preach on that, I don't give her, I, I am quite deferential to her. She also lost 10 kids, you know. And there's her husband suffering. Curse God and die. Now, here's a pastoral word. In Hebrew, the word curse and the word bless have the same root. And I would say to people that when evil comes your way in the lives of your children or tragedy, remember this, you have a choice. You can either bless God or curse him. And I know that God is honored when we bless him. Do we understand the mystery of God's involvement in this? No, I don't think so. We're confronted with it all the time. But we have to believe that God is good. He intends well with his children. And he uses whatever is brought to us. And the best example is Jesus. That was gonna, that's exactly that's where, exactly where go. you're going. Yep. Where it says in Acts chapter 4, I believe it is, that he was delivered up by the predetermined counsel of God. One day, a woman whose husband was murdered was quite angry with me because I preached on Job. And she said, are you telling me that my husband died within the will of God? I said, do you realize, did Jesus die within the will of God? Yes, he died within the will of God, she said. And then I took her to that passage and showed that even though Jesus was unjustly crucified, 
at what we would call a relatively young age, he died within the will of God, the predetermined will of God. I don't know if we've helped people. I trust that we have. If we just help them to see that God is a part of their story, even if sometimes we can't sort it out in terms of issues of responsibility. Ecclesiastes, I think, is helpful for the individual who is feeling the effects of evil and terrible. When Solomon is going through his search for the meaning of life, he experiences everything. And then finally, the conclusion to the matter, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, obey God because this is his will. And this is, I'm paraphrasing, and this is what lasts for eternity. And if that means what we do, what we experience is for eternity, that means I can look at the difficulties in my life and say, while this is not fun, I'm not relishing the pain that this is causing, how I respond, my, my reaction to these things will be seen for eternity. And therefore, it gives my suffering some transcendence and some meaning and it doesn't make God whimsical and capricious that I'm somehow just being battered about by random chance. One Pray quick that. comment. Yep. It's so important. I've told people this many times. I believe that God has a good, all-wise purpose for all evil that exists. But we don't have to know what that purpose mm. is in order to believe that it exists. Mm -hmm. And when we can't understand, we worship God without explanations. When Job fell on his knees and worshiped God, he didn't know the first part of his book, namely that Satan and God had <laughs> talked about him and that he was part of a big story that God wanted to prove something. And he said, you know what? Naked came I out from my mother's womb, naked shall I die. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed, Blessed be the, the name, name of the Lord. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Republican State Representative Jared Patterson from Texas has introduced a brand new bill that would ban minors from having social media accounts. Patterson argues that social media is not a safe place for minors, and I'll second that for sure. The proposed law would force social media platforms to perform age verifications on users. By requiring profiles to utilize photo identification as a means of age verification, and also allowing the parents the opportunity to request account removal of their child and grant enforcement of deceptive trade practices, to the office of the attorney general. If we're a country of people that want to protect children, this is a bill that should not only pass in Texas, but in every state in this country. Well, in New York state, lawmakers have passed a law that require online platforms to address hateful content posted by users. And last week, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression teamed with Rumble and filed a lawsuit that challenges the law, which took effect on December the 3rd. The law would require online platforms to police speech, including any speech considered vilifying or humiliating to someone based on protected characteristics like race, religion, or gender. The Court of Justice of the European Union has ruled that Google must remove search results if a user can prove that it is manifestly inaccurate. 
The case involved two executives at a group of investment companies. Google initially refused to remove search results linking them to articles criticizing their group's model of investment. They also wanted the search giant to remove their photos and search results. A German court referred the case to the Court of Justice of the European Union. A terrible new investigation has revealed that at least 10,000 unborn babies may have been forcibly aborted by the Nigerian military. The report was released last week and it is based on documented accounts from dozens of women and girls, civilian healthcare workers and soldiers about a secret abortion program inside the country's military. Women and girls as young as 12 who had been kidnapped and raped by Islamic extremists in the northern part of Nigeria said they were forced to abort their unborn babies by the Nigerian military soldiers who rescued them. Forced abortions are a massive but often unreported abuse all across the world. And to think, there are still pastors out there who don't believe we should ever share anything about man's depravity or sin problem. Authorities in China have tightened regulation on social media likes and comments in order to stamp out protests against the Chinese Communist Party's strict COVID lockdown restrictions. The Cyberspace Administration of China issued new guidance to tech companies asking them to expand internet censorship teams. Look, I know the story's from China. Would you be surprised if it was from America? More Regent Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Bridegroom. Christians are waiting for Christ's return, which the book of Revelation describes as the wedding of the Lamb. Christ will come to usher His bride, His church, into eternity with Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Mm. Interest. Fascinating. Oh, I'm sorry. Was just reading a book by Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who happens to be in studio. This book I found particularly helpful in trying to figure out not just what is going on out there, but how to respond to a wonky world. No Reason to Hide is the name of the book. And here's what I'd like to do with you today, Dr. Lutzer. This is going to be an exercise in discipline for you. Are you prepared? I hope so. Let me tell you the rules, then you can tell me if you're prepared. I'm merely going to read the chapter title, and then I want you to take an entire chapter and break it down so that we can get it in a pithy pill. Are you ready? As God wills, yes. Mm -hmm. We will be intimidated by collective demonization. What you talking about, Willis? Uh, collective demonization is the demonization of everybody who doesn't fall in with the accepted narratives of our culture. So here's what happens. You uh, are a dentist. It used to be, and I'm speaking about a specific instance, it used to be that if you treated everyone alike that's all that was necessary. Mm -hmm. Now you are being asked to give differential treatment to the LGBTQ community. I talk about that and the intersectionality and the uh, emphasis on that. So if you don't fit in, you find yourself out on the backwater, so to speak. Another thing that's happening that oftentimes is part of this has to do with uh, the whole business of the fusion of the media with 
these narratives and how, for example, in Russia, Pravda was the major newspaper and Pravda meant truth. So truth was whatever the government said it was. A la George Orwell. Yes. (laughs) And so that's where that leads. Now, in this book, and I know that you read one of the chapters. I read all the chapters. You read all of the chapters. But I discuss in more specific ways that propaganda works in a different chapter. Before we get to that chapter, the idea of demonization, cancel culture, that's basically what you're describing here. It is a bullying tactic to make you feel bad for not being a part of what is supposedly on the right side of history. And so we Christians are often rather stunned by that, and we have been labeled the silent majority. Like you, I've been noodling through these things, trying to rationally think through these cultural issues, biblically also, obviously. And increasingly, I, I come to the conclusion of this book, we will not be silenced. We, we can't be bullied into being quiet. It's not easy to respond. There's a cost to responding, but it seems we can't let the demonization silence us. For example, going back to my dentist friend, when he was taken through this uh, course on how he has to be more diverse, he typed a question to the instructor and said, I don't expect my Muslim friends to think it's a good idea that I eat pork. I don't expect my atheist friends to believe that it's a good idea that I believe in God. Why should I give deference to the LGBTQ community? And the answer that he got back was because they oftentimes have been vilified and there could be legal repercussions for you if you don't. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are as a culture. And my point is this. We need to be very wise. It's not that we're out there screaming against the culture. But what my friend did was the right thing. He asked a question. He asked a question for clarification. But he's absolutely determined that he's going to go on and treat everyone else alike. So I'm not sure if I'm responding to your question exactly. But it is time that we as Christians were not ashamed. You know, students today at the university are oftentimes not talked out of their faith. They're mocked out of their faith. Mm -hmm. And we have to help them stand up against that kind of mockery and to say, I'll take this for Jesus. And uh, we need to understand that that's our agenda. And that's where we are today. So that would be, uh, we will not be, in, we, will we be intimidated by collective demonization? Will we expose the greatest lie that is our nation's most cherished delusion? Yes, and the greatest lie goes back to Eden, you shall be as God. Mm -hmm. And so what I do in that chapter is, with the help of Carl Truman, trace the history of the lie through men like Karl Marx, who basically said that the state was God. And this is critical for people to understand. Marx, and especially Lenin, said that the family, the nuclear family, had to be destroyed. Why? Because of this whole oppression issue, 
Men oppressed their wives. Parents oppressed their children. They took them to church. God was the ultimate oppressor. And so what we need to do is to get rid of oppression and uh, allow the individual to develop their own views. And the only way to do that is to take the children out of the home, have them trained by the government so that they're trained correctly because education was considered to be too sacred and important a task to be left to parents. But you have the lie coming all the way down until today's culture, which says, I am in charge and I can be whoever I want to be. John Stone Street, whom I quote, has a great illustration. He said, if you're in a city and you're lost, if you have a compass, you at least know where you're going. You know that this way is north, this way is south. You've got it figured out. You know if you're making progress. But just think if you had a magnet in your backpack and your compass always pointed to you, you'd have no idea if you're going in circles, whether or not you're making progress. You know, that should bring tears to our eyes because that's the present generation totally confused because everything is always about them. So that is a great lie, and it affects our view of education. I've already mentioned religion, where people make up their own religion based on their own preferences. And so they say, I'm into spirituality, but not into religion, because I make up my own religion according to my own terms. This is one of, there's many, but this is one of the big hot button issues of our day. You have a chapter titled, Can We Take Steps to Move Beyond Our History of Racism, Stolen Land, and Collective Guilt? Well, those are the kinds of accusations that are made against us. Racism, of course, I deal with in the previous chapter, but simply to reiterate, critical race theory keeps tearing everything apart, intentionally so. And by the way, In the book, White Fragility, it says this, that um, the minorities cannot be racist because they're not in charge. Todd, that is terrible because what the author is saying in this widely read book is this, that the answer to racism is to replace one power group above another. The biblical answer, of course, is that we really don't have a skin problem we have a sin problem. But let me talk about a stolen land since you raised that issue. We are told that we should feel guilty because after all, we are on land stolen from the Indians. Now, atrocities were committed. There's no use trying to go through and parse all the rights and all the wrongs. But Todd, it is so important for us to realize that every single country in the world has been established as a result of wars. You know, Toynbee is quoted as saying that the uh, blessed is the nation that has no history, for history is a record of war. So if we begin to think to ourselves that we should feel guilty because of what happened here 200 years ago or 150 years ago, where do we go from here? Let's take Canada. I was born in Canada. There was a battle on the Plains of Abraham between the French and the English, and the English won. 
So the English dominate Canada. Some people say, well, it was stolen from the French. We can't go back and make all the wrongs right and to indicate, you know, who was right, who was wrong. Here we are. We recognize that Canada and the United States are, I think, the two greatest countries in the world, though, of course, we have a lot of problems on both sides of the border. And we have to move on. We can't simply feel guilty because we are on stolen land. Now, there are those who say, well, we have to give reparations. Mm -hmm. Let's think about that, both logistically but also whether or not that's a wise idea. We will seek to answer that, Lulu, with our guest, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, No Reason to High, next on Wretched. Hmm, something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Espiritu from the Master's Academy International in the Philippines. Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Masters Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Question, have you taken the opportunity to jump on the road trip to truth for season three? Because if you haven't, you are missing out on a wealth of information. In season three, host John Favarez tackles topics like aliens and the Bible, the dangers of social media, femininity, masculinity, the real meaning of sex, justice, Christmas, and hermeneutics, among others, with experts like Alan Parr, Dr. Collins Mothers, Dr. Jason Lyle, Tom Hammond, Nate Pigowitz, Dr. Paul Twist, and more. Check out Road Trip to Truth Season 3 if you haven't done so yet. It's a valuable resource for you, your kids, and your church. Available now in the Wretched Store at Wretched.org. Oh, and while you're there at Wretched.org, make sure you make some time to jump on over to our donate page and check out all of the information on becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at Wretched.org slash donate. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. 
Books of the Bible. Mark was a follower of Christ, traveling companion of Paul, an associate of Peter. His gospel presents Jesus as the Son of God. Here, Jesus is the perfect example of self-sacrifice, the suffering servant who died as a ransom for our sins. When you suffer for obedience to Christ, do not be ashamed, for Christ suffered and died for our disobedience. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched. Answering the question, is it our goal to agitate you? The answer is no, it is not. We are talking about some issues that are current. They are complex and they are contentious. And we would like to talk about them. But we have a limited amount of time here. So if you'd like to hear the full presentation of Dr. Lutzer's work in either of these two books, No Reason to Hide or We Will Not Stay Silent, encourage you to do that so you can hear your full-throated explanation of some of these issues that are causing an awful lot of grief these days. How then do I, as a Christian, speak to an individual who would actually say, no, we are owed reparations, this is stolen land, and you've got blood guilt because of your skin color? Logistically, my parents came from Europe. They were German. They came in the 1920s. They settled in Canada. Should I have to pay reparations? for something that my ancestors had absolutely nothing to do with because they were brought up in a different part of the world. Would that be right? And then we have to ask another question, namely, do we really owe money and reparations to people who were not a part of the atrocities that occurred? That's the question. I heard one person argue for reparations based on Luke chapter 19, namely the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said, I'm willing to pay four times what I owe. Now, the guy must have been independently wealthy because if you do the math, how in the world could he come up with that much money? But what he didn't say, and by the way, I'm also going to pay you extra Because my grandparents misused your grandparents and took more money from them than were deserved. To put it as clearly as possible, reparations would mean that those who didn't experience the atrocities would have to be paid by those who didn't commit the atrocities. Logistically, absolutely impossible. And biblically problematic. Tabidi Anyabwile, he wrote biblically why he believes the Bible supports reparations. I made my way through those texts, and I, I, I see where he's going, but I don't think he does justice to the text in light of Ezekiel 18, which yeah. I think is the clarity chapter for us that shines a light on anything mm-hmm. that's dim. And that is, you deal with your sins. I deal with my sins. My parents, they got their sins. My kids have got their sins. And we're each responsible for our own sins, but we're not responsible for the sins of others. And with that clarity, I don't think that some of the proof texts that he used 
stand that, for instance, when the Jewish people were being returned from exile, uh, Syria, Babylon gave them the stuff that was in the temple. And Tabidi says, see, that was reparations for taking them from the land. And I say, no, he was given back what he stole from those yeah, people. Exactly. Simple as that. Now, many people today would say the way that we got here wasn't right. Therefore, we need to make those wrongs right. There are people who genuinely feel they are still feeling the effects of those behaviors of ancestors. How do you talk to those folks so that it doesn't become an explosion? Well, first of all, you point out it's very difficult to know who would we owe reparations to. When it comes to the Native Americans that inhabited this part of the world, they were constantly warring among themselves. They were taking land from one group and one group, one tribe would take land from another. So there's no way to have some neat answer to that question to say that it is this tribe that we took land from for this part of the country, et cetera, et cetera. History is very complicated. We cannot go there and unscramble what happened and figure out who is owed money. But on the other hand, even more importantly, I don't believe that there's any obligation on our part to do that. Because there are people, as I mentioned a moment ago, like me, who come from a different part of the world, namely my ancestors coming from Europe in the 1920s. And we had nothing to do with America's history. And therefore, how can we go back and make reparations that would not be fair to us? And furthermore, there's no way that we have any knowledge that this could be done in a responsible way without creating a tremendous amount of havoc. Biblically, the 18th chapter, as you mentioned, of the book of Ezekiel says that a son is not responsible for the sins of his father. Now, one other thing I have to tell you, this is really a burden on my heart. It is this idea of collective guilt that caused the Christians to hate the Jews, to kill them, and to marginalize them for centuries. Why? The Jews were the Christ killers. And you trace their history all throughout the centuries, including men like Martin Luther, who said some very hateful and terrible things about the Jews. I've been in the Berlin Museum dedicated to Jewish persecution. I've seen what's happened. It's enough to make a stone weep. Why? Collective guilt. You are responsible for what your ancestors did. Now, isn't it interesting that it is not God, it is the Jews who said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. God didn't make that determination. So, collective guilt has always led to atrocities, to blaming people who are not responsible for what happened. And uh, it's, just, it's just unbiblical, I feel, and unworkable. Well, I can help you okay, because please. I do know exactly how we go about determining who should receive what. 
in reparations. It's the same way we figure out the erasing of student loan debt. What I'm saying is it's not fair no matter how you do it. (laughs) When you do something like that, it will inevitably be inequitable. Furthermore, it's not fair to the people who did pay off their debt. Furthermore, it's not fair to those who worked hard in order to not graduate with debt or those who gave up school because they didn't want to go into debt. So the issue of fairness has to be in view as we discuss these subjects. I come from above the Mason-Dixon line originally. My ancestors were not involved in the owning of human beings. So the issue of equity and fairness, I think, is one that we can lovingly remind people of that, hey, this just isn't fair. And also, perhaps I'm saying it more clearly than I should, but victimhood, once it becomes your means of empowerment, it's very difficult to give up. But there is an answer for that, and that is the hope that people will see that we as Christians should work toward equal opportunity for all races, for all colors, to the extent that we possibly can. But reparations simply would not work. But one of the things I've noticed, Dr. Lutzer, is that we are fighting and dividing over the social sciences, political issues, because we're so passionate about them. We bring that fire to the dialogue and it becomes quite contentious. I have pretty firm convictions on things, but I need to remember these things are observing what is going on inside of our culture based on our history. And these are not really theology proper issues that we're dealing with. Would you agree with that? I would. And of course, what we have to do is to see that the Bible might not speak to every single issue. And of course, there's controversy also because, you know, the Old Testament, that had to do with Israel. Today, we live in a different era, a different dispensation, when God deals differently with nations and even with individuals. So these things are sometimes difficult to parse. Our intention is not to further divide, but hopefully shed light and helpful dialogue. You know, what you bring up about Israel is important because a lot of the verses that our friends will use are from the Old Testament, examples from the nation of Israel. That's fair, but we're not the nation of Israel. We are no longer that people in that zip code, a part of that covenant. So we need to be really careful how we pluck those verses out of that context and appropriate them into 21st century Western civilization. Very quickly, Old Testament theocracy. God ruled directly through the kings, through the prophets, in one nation primarily. New Testament spread throughout the whole wide world, different nations, a transnational community. And so God deals differently with the church and with what's happening in America than he did Israel discuss and please consider getting these books for a deeper treatment we're not going to get to your propaganda business perhaps next time until tomorrow go serve your king